Snap Studios. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Snappers, forget your Batman, Superman, Thor nonsense. No. No, as we get ready to rock the biggest Snap Judgment Live event ever, I want to give you a chance to win an actual super prize, the classic Snap story from our archives. Because we're going to go back 40 years, a time when men were real men, women were real women, because no one could be who they wanted to be. And most importantly, superhero toys were real superhero toys. Vanessa Rincano takes it from here. So to understand the context of this story, think back 30, 40 years ago to the age of the all-American action hero. Hippies were out, tough guys were in. So you had these vigilante enforcers like Charles Bronson, Chuck Norris, and of course- It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. But before Arnold, before Norris, before Bronson, there was this guy. Now you can play world's greatest investigator with J.J. Arms, the action figure with interchangeable hands. This is an advertisement for a toy, a Texas P.I. named J.J. Arms. Using hooks, J.J. slides down hot on the trail. Only he wasn't an actor or fictional character. No, J.J. Arms was real. He was an actual person. He was the world's greatest private detective. This is Texas Monthly reporter Gary Cartwright. And he says that back in the mid-70s, J.J. was a darling of the mainstream media. Newsweek, The Atlantic, Macmillan was coming out with a book. Where you could read all about his incredible cases. He had rescued Marlon Brando's son, daring rescue in Mexico, started the Mexican jailbreak, the Later became the Charles Bronson movie, Breakout. This man is in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Only this man knows why. This woman wants her husband set free. Only this man can do it. Breakout, rated PG. But, but the most amazing part of it... The thing that made J.J. Arms a real-life action figure... He didn't have any hands. His hands had been blown off in a childhood accident... And he just, he did everything with these hooks. And I thought, this is, you know, this is really interesting. Let's find out more about this guy. Gary wanted to one-up those other magazines to get to know the real J.J. Arms. So I called him and he said, sure, come on down. So Gary and a few other journalists went down to El Paso, where J.J.'s detective agency had its national headquarters. Jay answered the door, and I just kind of observed the guy. 
And he was sorry, he was fascinating to watch. Very composed, very articulate, good sense of humor, degree from UCLA, New York University, and you couldn't get your eyes off his hooks. Gary says the hooks didn't seem like a disability at all. He could do things with his hooks that I can't with my hands. Each had a power of 38 pounds per square inch, which is like four times the power of a human hand. And the, the base of the hook, uh, there was the muzzle of a, of a 22 pistol. In other words, it wasn't just a hook. It was a gun. J.J. Arms had a gun for a hand. Gary Cartwright was staring at a living, breathing superhero. But then we went to his office. And his, his office, from the outside, it looked like any other. But when you walk in, it's, it's got this strange lighting. Everything is r- reds and greens. And the first thing you see is this mural on the wall of a man in a trench coat cradling the world in his arms. And I, as I began to look at this painting, I realized it's a self-portrait, but he's giving himself blue eyes. And he's holding the world, but he's not holding it with his hooks, he's holding it with his hands. While Gary contemplated the painting, Jay was busy showing off a room he called his crime lab. He had what he called a debugging device, a tranquilizer gun that's supposed to shoot sleeping gas. Then he shows us some bullet holes in the wall of his office from one of the assassination attempts. J.J. had explained that there had been 13 separate attempts on his life. The accumulation of weird things is beginning to weigh on me, but I'm, you know, I look at one thing and he's got something else to show me. Next up on the tour was J.J.'s home. The mansion. Well, more like the grounds around the mansion. There wasn't any backyard per se. It was this Nairobi village, he called it. And it's another world. There are thatched huts, there are exotic plants, trails through high walls of bamboo, monkeys running loose. JJ said that he currently owned 22 different species. <laughs> including a West Texas puma, some miniature Tibetan horses that shrink with each generation, and a 400-pound Siberian tiger. It explains they used to have a pet elephant, but a, but a neighbor killed it with a crossbow. What's your impression at this point? What you well, I'm just I'm overwhelmed. I'm just, just trying to get through the next few minutes. Said I don't have time to do anything but, you know, wait for the next thing to happen. And the next thing was, uh, you know what, let's just have Gary describe it. We're in the middle of the jungle and a palm tree rings. And Jay walks over and opens the side of the palm tree and there's a telephone in there. Jay spoke cryptically into the receiver, presumably with one of the 2,000 agents he said he had working for him around the country. He had already briefed the reporters on his daring operations in Mexico and Cuba and pointed to a helicopter, one of three he was licensed to fly. He said on 30 minutes notice he could have it fueled and airborne. He also had told us that he spoke seven languages, including 33 dialects of Chinese. And when you'd say, Jay, how could that be possible? How could you possibly have done that? He would say, I read the book and I saw the movie. I don't know what that meant. Back at the house, Gary wandered over to the helicopter while J.J. was busy with the other journalists. (laughs) 
And suddenly, I'm taking a closer look at this thing. And the more I looked at it, the more I thought, my God, wait a minute, look at it. So you got flat tires, it's, the wheels are buried up to the hubs in dirt. The windows are covered with tape instead of glass. This helicopter hadn't been off the ground in years. And this is when I began to think there's something really screwy going on here. So much of what J.J. was telling them didn't seem like it could be real. You're overwhelmed with what is real. This guy with the hooks for hands, with, you know, with all the animals that he's got, all that's true. So maybe the rest of it is true. And that's when I excuse myself and I call another private investigator. I said, can you tell me something about him? And he said, yeah, I can tell you a lot about him. And he says, the reason you're having trouble tracing Jay Arms, that's not his real name. His real name is Julian Armas. You know, and once I found out his real name and started talking to people, it all became very clear. Everybody in town knew the story, and everybody's willing to talk. Julian Armas had been born into a Mexican-American family in an impoverished El Paso neighborhood called Isleta. A few years after losing his hands, he left for California. When he came back, claiming he'd been in movies, he was transformed. Julian Armas was now J.J. Arms. And he came back in an old raggedy Cadillac convertible with a dummy telephone mounted to the dashboard. He would pull up beside girls at a drive-in and he would pretend to be talking to some foreign agent. And everybody who had grown up with him and knew him knew that he had this fantasy life that he lived. That fantasy life seemed to have seeped into every aspect of Jay's personality and profession. Jay had claimed that he went to UCLA and they'd never heard of him. He claimed he had 2,000 agents around the country. He had none, he had zero. Gary found that the Federal Aviation Association had never issued J.J. a pilot's license. The Academy of Motion Pictures could provide no record of any feature films he claimed to be in. He had appeared in one episode of Hawaii 5 He had played a heavy called Hook Man. The people claimed that his voice had been dubbed. Just to be clear, J.J. was a real private eye. That part was true. And he was involved in the rescue of Marlon Brando's son. But his other big cases, the ones in China and Cuba, were impossible to confirm. And worse, Gary says that former clients told him they'd paid for investigations and gotten false reports. And the, the more people I talked to, the more I thought, not only J.R., not the world's greatest private detective, he's not even the best private detective in El Paso. So you, did you ever confront him with any of this information you found? Oh, no, 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 of course not. Well, why wouldn't you? Why, why would I? My job was to find out who the real Jay Arms was. And once I did that, I'm feeling a little bit scared because Jay now knew I was on to him. In El Paso, you could have somebody killed for $50. Any cab driver can arrange it. And I'm wanting to get out of there in one piece. I asked Gary if he had any reservations about exposing arms. But the way Gary saw it, J.J. had gone out of his way to misrepresent himself to serious journalists whose job was to report the truth. No one had forced him to do that. When Texas Monthly began fact-checking Gary's story, 
Jay got a uh, injunction to stop publication of the magazine, and we got an injunction lifting his injunction. The article with the headline, Is J.J. Arms for Real?, was a hit, and it was brutal. Gary ended up poking holes in just about every part of Jay's story. The piece seemed sure to bruise his professional reputation, if not demolish his career. And I never heard from Jay again, so, you know, that was, that was the end of uh, my association with him. And do you think it had any effect on Jay? I don't know if it had any effect or not. I didn't, you know, I didn't call him and say, how, how's this affecting your life? And in fact, until you called me and said that you, uh, that you were interested in doing a story on Jay Arms, I hadn't even thought of it about him in years. Gary's article came out 40 years ago. And if you Google J.J. Arms today, it still comes up. But so does the website for Jay's business, The Investigators. He's still around and apparently working. Have you, have you met him? Have you talked to him? I'm going to go on Friday. Oh, you are? What, are you going to confront him with all, with all this? Of course, but not as an attack. I mean, I just, yeah. I, I just think it's fascinating, all this stuff we talked about. I mean, he's just such a complicated character. He is a very complicated character. Yeah, call me and let me know how it went. I'd be, I'd be curious how it went. When Snapped Up returns, we're about to go into the belly of the beast. Stay tuned. When last we left, intrepid producer Vanessa Rancano had only heard of someone called J.J. Arms. But now she's about to go meet him face-to-face. Snap judgment. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, Vanessa, I'm going to send you up. JJ's office in El Paso was easy to find. It was the one right underneath a billboard with a shot of JJ posing with gun drawn. When I get there, I wait in the lobby underneath a photo of JJ standing with George W. Bush. Eventually, J.J.'s secretary leads me down a long hallway, past a stuffed ostrich, and into an elevator. It's going to get a little bit more exotic in his office, but I don't want you to worry. Nothing up here is real, okay? Come on. The door opens, and the first thing I see is a well-dressed man sitting across from me on a white leather couch. He's wearing sunglasses, and he has a magazine clasped between two silver hooks. I'm about to walk up and introduce myself when I hear a voice behind me. So the couch guy was a mannequin, and now the real JJ is headed toward me with his arms open. You know what? Everybody deserves a hug. The world is so so apart from everybody, you know? JJ is warm, polite. He has an easy sense of humor. He's wearing gold-rimmed wraparound glasses. His office is this enormous oval. His desk is like some kind of 1960s NASA command station. The curved wall behind it is covered with brightly colored graphs. Four clocks tell time across U.S. time zones. There's a row of monitors on the desk from which J.J. can see the entire office. Did you see us the whole time we were here? The whole time. And we checked to see if you had any weapons. How did you check to see if we had weapons? I have a um, camera that can zoom in to your body. Is there anything else that you'd... That's That's a whole lot of money. I just notice a big stack of cash on J.J.'s desk. Oh, yeah. A client just left. That's about $5,000. That's for a small case. I asked 
asked JJ to take me to his house. It's changed since Gary's visit. The only remnant of the Nairobi village is a faded sign. The helicopter is long gone. But he still has one white tiger and a chimpanzee. And there's a bronze statue of himself outside the front door. Inside, there's a casino JJ made for his wife. His closet is packed with hundreds of tailored suits. He presses his hand against the wall, and I hear a click. I just opened a secret door to a secret room. Oh, God. Where, what is this? This is my safe room with every type of gun that you can imagine. That's a MAC-10, a forty-five machine gun. That's a Newsy, paratrooper's gun, a twenty-two Magnum, and a shotgun. When we're back at the office, I finally work up the nerve to ask about the mannequin on the couch. Uh, he travels in my limo so that he can be in one part of the country with, in my limo, and I'll be in another part of the country to throw off the people that uh, are against J. Arms because there's been a 15 assassination attempts on my life. Hello, Mark. Hello, Mr. Arms. How are you, sir? Mark Holder is a producer. He's working on a TV series about J.J. The writers are working on the show? You couldn't have hotter writers on your hands, that's for sure. We hope to sell to Netflix or to HBO or Showtime or Amazon, one of those places. That's great, Mark. Keep up the good work. We're looking for the CNN piece to come out soon. J.J. just had a visit from a CNN film crew. Thank you, Mark, and I'll be in touch with you. Sounds good, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. He says he's had other offers from producers, but this new TV series is different. My story will never be out of my control because my story is controlled by me. All the stories that you see on TV is is fiction. This is going to be true. This is J.J. Arms, and he's maybe the world's most famous private investigator. The CNN piece came out shortly after I visited JJ. Watching it, I'm struck by how different his operation looks on TV than it did in person. There's quick cuts of JJ pushing buttons on his desk command station and a wide shot of him sitting in front of those big wall charts. What you can't see in the video is that most of those buttons on the desk monitors just do really basic stuff, like turn lights on and off. And the big wall diagram, the one labeled the investigator's chart, is just a list of distances from El Paso to other cities in the region. The clocks on the wall, they don't even tell time correctly. They're all props. JJ's world is made for TV. I have more work now than ever. Jay, do you see yourself as a legend? How do you want to be remembered? On my obituary, Jay Arms did it his way. One-liner, and that's it. Even now, in his 80s, the taglines come easy. Though it's not clear how much work he actually does, he's still full of plans for the future. He wants to talk about where he's going, the TV shows, the big cases, but what I'm more interested in is how he got here. Do you mind walking me through the accident? What happened that day? Yes, um, it was a real, real nice day in May, and Dick Cables came up and says, let's go up to my house. So I told my mother, I said, I'll be right back, mother. She says, please don't go. Jay's mother had a bad feeling. But when Dick pulled up driving his parents' Chrysler, Jay went anyway. Dick was a few years older, from a wealthy family, and Jay thought he was pretty cool. When they got to Dick's house, the older boy handed Jay a box. He says, open this box. He says, 
and get two of those caps and just take the seal off, rub them together. And I said, what, what then? These are going to be sparklers. Said, All right. So I opened the box, got two of those dynamite caps. I took the seal off. I barely rubbed them together and they blasted. They blew me away 20 feet. I landed on my, on my face right next to a little tree and I opened my eyes and I was trying to grab the tree to get up and I couldn't. I felt like I had my, my hands in the fire. Jay yelled for Dick to drive him to the hospital. And I was holding my hands right close to the dashboard and Dick had to wipe the blood so he could see to drive. So we walked in the hospital and he, they laid me down and put a uh, shield in front of me. He told my dad, oh, we're going to have to amputate the hands. At the wrist, I heard him. It didn't make sense to Jay. You see, I still felt my fingers and, and my hands. But the doctors operated anyway. They took away his hands. And uh, they, they built me the prosthesis. They were old-fashioned hooks. That, that was the only option. Jay practiced with his new prosthetics day and night. He had to learn how to write, how to eat, how to catch a ball. He used the muscles in his biceps to open and close the hooks. And I still felt like my hands were in fire. So I, I went to school, and uh, the bell rang, got to my, my teachers. She said, well, we're all going to work on the blackboard today. Everyone except for Jay. And I said, well, why? She said, oh, that's okay. We can wait till you, you learn how to write with, a, with chalk. I said, teacher, I can, I can write with a chalk. I got on the blackboard, and I started writing, and all of a sudden, one of the kids nodded me, and he says, look at the back of you, and it was the principal. He says, uh, I don't think that uh, you're ready to come to school yet. I said, why not? He says, look at the floor. There was a big old puddle of blood. My arms had torn open at the ends, so he asked the janitor to come in and... Uh, and mop the blood. Listening to the story, I know I'm not breaking any new ground here. I'm sure he's told some version of this story hundreds of times. But still, I feel like I finally got a glimpse of something real. I can't tell if all these details are 100% true or not. Just like I don't know if he's a great PI. All I want from him is a wink. You know, some kind of acknowledgement that the over-the-top trappings, the hyperbole, that's just branding. I want him to let me in on his genius marketing strategy. Eventually, I try to force it and ask about Gary's article in the process. Do you remember a reporter named Gary Cartwright? Gary Cartwright was a heroin addict. He, he's got a wilted hand. And I guess he had an inferiority complex. And he saw Jay Arms had accomplished all this, so he had to write a cutthroat story. Don't tell me about anything about this corrupt uh, Jerry Cartwright. Don't even mention his name to me. I think you're a little confused. By the way, Gary Cartwright denies all these things. Gary Cartwright aside, what I was trying to ask you about earlier, I think is really the crux no, of the no, whole thing, which is no. just... That all of this, the doors that spin around, this is, to most people, I think this seems like a Hollywood portrayal of what a private investigation no, is. No, it's not a Hollywood. If it was a Hollywood portrayal, it wouldn't be as big as this. I get 
better uh, gadgets that you've seen in the Hollywood movies because they're for real. And the Hollywood movies are not for real. In the Hollywood movies, you never see an office this big. You, how can the world, can you come in and say, I'm trying to portray Hollywood uh, uh, for sure? I'm, I'm no. saying that's no. just the impression that I'm our, that I our, our conversation is over. Thank you very much. Uh, you're, you're a disappointment. I don't you remember see I told how... you you remember I had a Lamborghini? Yes, you said you yes. Here's a picture of my Lamborghini. Take a look at my Lamborghini. What what is what is what does this what does this show me about you? Because when I told you I had a Lamborghini, you had a little doubt. Like I was trying to tell you that I had something I didn't the picture of my Lamborghini. Um, a Lamborghini Countach that cost $250,000. But you see, the conversation's over. You disappoint me. Over here. JJ steers me towards the elevator. We take an extremely uncomfortable ride down to the first floor. Can I, can I get out this way? He motions toward a garage door. After JJ kicked me out, I went looking for people to talk to. He still lives in Isleta, the part of El Paso where he grew up, and I wanted to know what JJ was like when he wasn't talking to a journalist or standing in front of a camera. Sure enough, I found 86-year-old Aurora Tarango. I've known him all my life. My mother and his mother were related. He was my brother's best friend. I still call him Julian. To me, he's one of the best men here in Isleta. When people talk about him, they talk about his actual deeds, his presence in the neighborhood. So across the street is actually a little duplex, and that's where he grew up. Kathy Hernandez first met JJ when she was a kid. She says her grandmother knew him well. Grandmother set up a day where he picked us up in his limo, and we went to vote. He was JJ Arms, you know? Juanita Tapia is 101 years old. She used to live just down the street from JJ. She says he picked her up to vote, too. Jay actually ran in that election for city council and won. As a city councilman, she says he did a lot of good for the area. She credits him for replacing the area's dirt sidewalks with cement. Nobody I talked to had anything bad to say about J.J. As for the possibility that all his boasts might be a little too good to be true... They're okay with it. That's what Gary found, too. When he was looking for people to talk to for his article, he met a doctor who said he'd grown up with Jay. I said, this guy's a real phony. Did you try to expose him? And he said, why would I do that? He said, I understand the motive behind his behavior. Most people losing both hands would be the end of the show. For him, it was just the beginning. Maybe this is where we talk about how impressive J.J. is anyway, whether the details are true or false, because he overcame a challenge that would crush most of us. To this day, I still admire him. His story, his real story, is amazing. He doesn't need all of the fiction with it. On TV, J.J. became a hero. But perhaps the transformation was far more profound. When he first had his hands amputated, Jay told me that he lay there in the hospital bed wanting to die. 
No more handshakes, no class rings, no fingerprints, no normal. But then, Jay devised a brilliant solution. The day after the incident at the chalkboard, he made a point of coming back to class. The doctor gave me tranquilizers, but still I was in horrendous pain. And after the bell rang, kids would run up to open the door for me. But Jay stopped them and shut the door with his hooks. Then, making sure everyone could see, Jay fought back the pain, opened the door one more time, and walked through. I wouldn't say anything, but I was really telling them, hey guys, I can do it. And I was going to be better than I was before. Seventy years later, Jay points proudly to a poster on the wall. It's a collage of superheroes. There's Wonder Woman, there's Batman and Robin, and there's uh, a $6 million man, there's the Hulk, Incredible Hulk. And nestled in with them, J.J. Arms. And you see all the superheroes there, they're all fiction, except one. J.J. Arms is for real. Thanks to Vanessa Rincano and to Gary Cartwright for sharing that story with the Snap. We'll have a link to the original article, Gary's original article, on our website, snapjudgment.org. The original sound design was by Leon Morimoto. Now, I promised you a prize, and a prize you shall have. We're giving away another vintage J.J. Arms action figure. We found it on eBay. It's not cheap, and it's basically the coolest toy I've ever seen. It's got the interchangeable hands. We're talking with the hooks and the suction cups, magnets. It even comes with the box. Although there is a rip in it now. Thank you, Uber producer Mark Ristich. We've played with it, but if you want to play with it now, all you need to do is go to Snap Judgment's Facebook page, sign up for our newsletter, and you're automatically entered to win in the contest. And I promise, your inner 10-year-old or your actual 10-year-old will not be disappointed Now, our brand new snap drops in three days. Do not miss it.